Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. He thought about you. And you know what he did? He etched out a place in eternity for you for your family, for your loved ones. Someone says, well, I can't believe that. That's okay. A lot of things I can't believe. But I believe that. And I believe that God loves you in a very special way. It's been unusual over the past year and a half. I'm dealing with the subject today of tragedies and resurrection. There's somewhat of an oddity in that, but yet there's such a truth to be discovered in it. Over the last year and a half, Janice and I have lost, I think our list is well over two dozen very close friends to COVID and, and uh, different parts of this disaster. We've seen families break up, this loss and tragedy and marriages. We've seen people that had vocations all of their lives lose those vocations. We've seen relationships break and split right down the middle because of this stupidity over you should do this, you should do that, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. May I just say stupidity? How do you lose important things in your life? over opinion. If you can't stand on something solid, get off your opinion because your opinion will hurt you in the long run. You have to get on something more solid than your opinion. So the list grows longer of people that we've loved so much and cared for so much that just aren't here today. I look among the ranks of our church. And when Janice and I started out on one acre over there in that little bitty building, some of the pillars of that startup are not here today that were here until the last year and a half. But now they're not here. So how do you deal with tragedy? We're looking at the life of David today, and in 2 Samuel 12, verses 20 through 24, we'll be reading that as a text scripture. But we've never seen, or at least I have, and I can speak for myself, a time so unparalleled in devastation and loss in the lives of people. We are witnessing, my wife and I, a generation of our friends and our comrades in the faith over the years that are just falling away. And as I said, the list keeps growing and keeps getting longer, and I see so many people who are struggling in their faith, and they're struggling to verbalize how they feel. They're struggling to balance their faith in God, an unchanging God with circumstances that really don't seem to line up. But I can tell you one thing, one thing Revelation 1 and 8 says I'm Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the ending. I'm he who is, I'm he who was, I'm he who is to come. He said I am God and I change not. And that's what you can build on, and that's what you can bank on, and that's what you can put your faith on. I'd like to read a few words from one of my friends that wrote me, one of many, many correspondence that I've got from different friends and people during this time. But this one touched me, and I asked his permission to use it. Why, why, why? I've been through so much in my lifetime. And heretofore, I've always been able to understand and balance the purposes of God. 
but with the loss we have just experienced, and it was that of a son. It has caused me to ask the question over and over, why, why, why? He said, I trust, but I just don't understand. And there are so many that have been left in this position during COVID. And the tragedies are not just death or sickness, they're loss of so many different things because of where we live and the changing, evolving world that we live in. These are horrific events. And can I just say this, that we're all going to face suffering in life. We're all going to face troubles and trials and tribulations and difficulties. But sufferings have a beginning point and they have an ending point. Troubles and trials have a beginning point and they have an ending point. But tragedy is not so. Tragedy has a beginning point, but you can only find resolution in your faith through the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to continue on in the face of tragedy. So many that have faced these troubles and these circumstances of life. And what I like to think about is David here that we're going to be talking about brought all of this on himself. This was circumstantial tragedy. It was due to the circumstances of his life. It was consequential tragedy. It was the consequence of what he had done in his life. But what about you? What did you do to deserve the tragedy? Psalms 34 and 19 says many are the afflictions, the sufferings, the trials, the difficulties, the troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the tragedies. But the Lord delivers him out of all of them. None of them are bigger than our God. None of them are bigger than our faith. Tragedies seem to have a beginning, but yet they seem to not have an end except you find resolution in your faith and in the Lord Jesus Christ. May I tenderly use this example, and I do use it tenderly and caringly, this text that I received. Children should not die before their parents. In such a tragedy, you can see the beginning, but how do you see the ending? Because when you left the memorial service, it wasn't the end. When you walked away from the memorial service, there was no distinct beginning and no distinct end. There was a beginning, but now you're faced with, what about this word that all the psychologists tell me, closure? I don't like the word. I like the word resolution. You can find resolution in your faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're looking for some mental gymnastic psychological closure, you may never find it. But through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can find resolution to all the tragedies and difficulties that you face in life. You see... 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. But have you ever cast your cares on him and they jump back on you? It's like he said, you know, we're living sacrifices. But you know what the problem is with the living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. Because it's a living sacrifice. We go through the motions. We cast our cares on him, but they don't always stay on him because you wake up the next day with an empty bed. You wake up the next day with an empty chair. You wake up the next day like I did. You go to your father's house to see him as a matter of routine five or ten times after he's gone and only when you pull up in the park in the parking spot, do you realize, what am I doing? 
he isn't here anymore. So it has a beginning, but it can only find resolution in our faith. So David got into this debacle with Bathsheba. You know, I had a lot of time on my hands yesterday preparing for this, and I just thought, hmm. He looked out over the city on, he should have been in bed, should have been at war. But he looked, he looked out over the city and he saw in the moonlight Bathsheba bathing. And it came to me, bath, she, bad. <laughs> you got too much time on your hands when you come up with things like that. <laughs> 2 Samuel 12, verse 20, Then David arose, and this is his son was dying. For seven days he had been praying over his son, hoping God would give him a miracle, hoping God would raise him up. So many are just praying hour after hour, day after day in hospitals and in their homes. So David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required of them, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What is this? What is this that you have done? You did fast and weep for the child while he was alive for seven days, but now he is dead, and you rose up, and you're eating. David replied, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, and I said, who can tell me whether or not God will be gracious to me and maybe my child will live? But now he is dead, why should I fast? So David said, I will go to him. This is the first mention of resurrection. I will go to him. David said, I will die, but someday I will be resurrected and I will go to him. I will go to where he is. You have to hear this. This is David. I, he will not come to me. He will not be back, but I will go to him. What does that mean? There are five resurrections. The first one was Jesus when he was resurrected from the tomb. And the Bible says that graves were opened and that many of the saints of God were seen walking about Jerusalem and in the temple. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the church. Many call it the rapture. First, uh, First Thessalonians 4 said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So that's the second resurrection. The third and fourth resurrections are after the battle of Armageddon when God sets up his kingdom upon this earth. That'll be the, the, the second resurrection is all the way from the day of Pentecost up to when Jesus comes back. But it doesn't go back from there, not from the day of Pentecost. But before the kingdom is set up and after the battle of Armageddon, the Old Testament saints will be resurrected and all the tribulation saints will be resurrected who died and were beheaded during the tribulation. And then the final and fifth tribulation is after the thousand year reign when the unsaved stand before the great white throne judgment and revelation tells us, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, and all whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. And that are the, that, those are the five resurrections. They're all coming. And this is explicitly what we need to understand. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, uh, Paul is saying, I would not have you ignorant are uninformed concerning those who are asleep. I love the analogy here of people sleeping. What, what is the common idea about someone who's, who's asleep? They'll wake up. So he didn't say, you know, they're not going to awake again. He said, I would not have you ignorant concerning those who are asleep, for you do not sorrow as those who have no hope. He said, you're going to sorrow. There's going to be sorrow, but it's not the kind of sorrow that the world has. 
who have no hope. Your friend, loved one, family is only sleeping. So your sorrow is a different kind of sorrow. And David said, I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. See, when Christians die, you say, what happens to them? I lost a loved one. Their spirits rise up and go to be with the Lord. And when their spirits rise up and go to be with the Lord, Paul said in Hebrews 12, 23, the spirits of just men are being made perfect in heaven. Whoever you lost, whoever it was, they were not perfect when they were here. But the moment their spirit ascended up to heaven, they became perfect. They became totally perfected. Can I just say this? We do not bury believers. We do not bury Christians. We plant them as a seed that is asleep for a, a few moments and for a while until that infusion of the life power of God that is on the inside of them reunites with those bodies and they're changed forever unto eternal life. So our sorrow is a different kind of sorrow. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14. And by the way, the spirit and the soul are always alive. There's this old doctrine of soul sleep that your soul just goes to, no, it isn't. It's not biblical or scriptural. Your soul and your spirit are alive in heaven and your spirit is being perfected in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 says, If we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead... So also, those who are asleep in Jesus. Do you have someone that's asleep in Jesus? You've already believed in Christ that was raised from the dead. You say you're a Christian. But if we believe that Christ died and rose from the dead, so also those that are asleep in Jesus, he will bring with him at his coming. 1 Thessalonians. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And when he descends, what's going to be happening? Every disembodied spirit that has been perfected in heaven is going to be with him. And all of these spirits, when he stops in the air, are going to continue coming down to this earth where they will unite with the mortal and it'll put on immortality with the perishable. It will become imperishable with the corrupt and it will become incorrupt and will put on a new body. And then the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then all of those that we're talking about, these disembodied spirits and those that their bodies have been put in the grave, this miraculous transformation will take place. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air where he stopped up there. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Are you with me? I'm preaching harder than you're letting on. <laughs> so David said, "He, I shall go to him. That's the resurrection part of this. I shall go to him, but he will not return. And David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, Solomon, and the Lord loved him. These are some of the questions I want to submit to you that I've been asked over the last year and a half. Why does God not hear my prayers? Why did God not answer my prayer? Why has my whole world turned upside down? These are questions and I've written them down. My prayers haven't been answered and for the first time God didn't come through for me. Here was a really tough one. Why did their loved one, and they called him by name, recover and get out of the hospital 
and mine didn't. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves to some who commend themselves. For they comparing themselves by themselves and measuring themselves among themselves are not wise. God said, don't compare. Your loved one has nothing to do with another person's loved one. Don't compare. And this question probably is the most painful of all. And I wrote them all down. I'd just take my phone off out and write them down. I knew I'd use them at some point. I was asked, does God love them more than he loves me? You know what happened? This is what happens. Doubt sets in and you begin to lose your faith. Listen, never throw away what you know for what you don't know. Everything you ever do in life is going to be hard and it's going to be a fight. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. It was a good fight, but it was still a fight. Everything you do in life is going to be a fight. It would be easier just to go into the bedroom, close the door, put the covers over your head, and just stay in bed. Because you know that the minute you get out of bed and you go somewhere, the first thing that's going to happen is someone who loves you and don't know how to relate to what you're going through is going to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And you know what? You feel like you're reliving that loss over and over and over each time expecting a different ending which never comes. 2 Timothy 4 and 7, when Paul said, I have fought a good fight, he said something else. I have finished my course and I've kept the faith. Did you hear that? So you can fight a good fight. It's still a fight. But you can successfully finish your course and you can successfully keep your faith in God. So many have become stuck in time. They're waiting for an answer to their, to their loss of their spouse, the, the loss of their job, the loss of their vocation, the loss of a loved one through death or COVID. And they're waiting for an answer. And they won't move on in life until God gives them this answer. But at some point, can I just say this lovingly and tenderly? This is not motivational. It's spiritual. You have to get up and move on. At some point, we all have to move on from tragedy. That is what we learn through David's whole ordeal. And this is a hard saying. And I don't say it flippantly. But David had to get moving before he received his answer to his questions. And unfortunately, that's what we have to do sometimes. We want God to explain everything to us first, and then we'll get moving. But God says, no, that's what faith is. Faith says, start moving, and then I'll bring the revelation and the answers into your life that you need. Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things that are revealed belong unto us and our children forever. What is he saying? He's saying that some things are secret things. Only God knows the answer to them. And he will never share that answer with you at this point in your life because you can't deal with it. But to some he will reveal himself. And to those whom he does reveal himself, that answer will belong to you and your children and you'll build generationally, generation after generation on that faith. Luke 8 says, There is nothing hid that shall not come to light. And there is no secret thing that shall not be revealed. You may not understand tragedy now. 
You may not, not understand what has happened now, but you will understand it at some point in this life or in eternity, but God will bring revelation to your life. I remember when precious David Capps died in this church. In all my years of pastoring, I've never seen anything like that. And we had wonderful people that we love very much that couldn't come back in this building. It's overwhelming to them. And they left the church, not so much because of the church, but they, they couldn't cope with the concept of what had happened. We had some, a few, a couple, that actually left the faith. They just quit serving God. And then there were others that went off and joined nominal churches that do not teach and believe in divine healing, the miraculous life, and the supernatural because that's the only way they could be comfortable. It put no demand of faith on them. But can I just say this? Why are you ashamed, if you are, of a supernatural God? What offends you about God being supernatural? Do you want to serve a natural God that can't do anything that I can do? A natural God that can't help you any more than I can help you? Or do you want to serve a supernatural? But why are, we, why are we ashamed of a supernatural God? Why are we ashamed for people to know that we believe in divine healing, that we believe in miracles, that we believe God is supernatural and that he can speak into our life and he can do anything he wants to do because he's sovereign and he's supernatural and we can believe in him and receive from him. The supernatural is not unnatural. It's not anti-natural. It just transcends the natural. It is a higher realm of reality that we can live in. It's the spirit realm. Don't be ashamed of it. All things come to light. I feel for all of those who left. I feel for all of those who resettled. I feel for all of those who lost their faith. Moses never was a perfect man. How many of you are perfect? If you are, I, we want to display you in a religious museum if you're perfect. <laughs> but Moses, the children of Israel were out of water and God told him, said, Moses, I want you to go to a rock, this big rock over here. You know, so we're offended at the supernatural, so he said, I want you to go to this big rock over here. I want you to speak to the rock. Tell it what to do. And it'll give you all the water you need. Moses said, really? Really? Speak to the rock? Yeah. Why? Because I'm God and you're not. I'm supernatural and you're not. I'm sovereign and you're not. Speak to the rock. He was so mad at the children of Israel that he went over to the rock where it was and the Bible said he took his staff and he smote the rock. He didn't speak to it. He smote the rock and water came pouring forth. And then he turned and began to rail on the people of Israel because of their lack of faith. And the Bible said God called him aside. You know, God's always teaching. Don't ever dress somebody down in front of other people. Call them aside. God called him aside and he said, Moses, because of your disobedience, I know I told you you were going to lead them into the promised land and you told them you were going to lead them into the promised land, but because of your disobedience and your sin and how you disobeyed me when I told you to speak to the rock and out of your anger you smote it and put on a big show. We love a big show, don't we? God said, I'm not, I'm not going to let you go in. You're going to stay on this side. You can see it from the mountain, but your, your feet will never touch the promised land. And you know what? Moses never explained to the children of Israel as to why he couldn't lead them into the promised land. Never explained it. God doesn't have to explain himself to you and me. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You may never know in this life. It may take the life to come for you to finally know and understand a lot of things that you don't understand now. But Moses never explained himself. 
There are only two lines or one line in the Bible that where Moses gives any kind of an answer at all. He said, I must stay here on the other side. I can't go over there into the promised land. Because of my anger and my sin, I have to stay over here on the other side. Proverbs 25 and 2 said, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. I'm sure that for many years or many days the children of Israel were confused and, and mourned and disillusioned and they lo lo mourned the loss of Moses taking them in. They didn't understand it. They didn't have promises. Uh, uh, they didn't have him to lead them into the promised land. He told them he would lead them in. I'm sure many of the children of Israel had no answer, no explanation, and they won't have one until they arrive in heaven. God told Samuel, the greatest prophet that's ever lived, he told him one time, he said, Samuel, why do you still mourn for King Saul? I rejected him. In 2 Samuel 13, 14, God sent Samuel to Saul to tell him, your kingdom will not continue because God seeks a man after his own heart because you haven't been faithful to the things God set before you, therefore your kingdom is being taken from you. So Samuel knew the reason. Saul knew the reason because Samuel told him. David knew the reason. But nobody else ever knew because the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You shall know someday, someday maybe not here, but maybe in eternity. Are you still with me? Yes. Tragedies, hear this well, are not a stop sign. They're a yield sign. They're a detour sign. They say to you, slow down. Take a time and a season in your life. It's a temporary place of rest where you bring halt to many things as God empowers you to move on afresh and anew. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, can I just say this tenderly? I, I don't ever want to be hurtful, but he was geographically out of God's will. In 2 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, the Bible said when kings go to war, David was supposed to be at war, leading his troops in battle, but he was at home in the palace, out on the rooftop, overlooking the city, and saw Bathsheba, Bathsheba, taking a bath, and sent for her, impregnated her, brought her husband Uriah home to try to get him to sleep with her from the war so that he could say it was their child, but he would not do it. He said, I'll not enjoy all these comforts while my men are in battle. And he got him drunk three times and still he would not do it. And so David sent a letter to Moab, the commander of his troops, and said, take Uriah, put him in the front of the battle at the hottest place of the battle and pull back and, and desert him. And Uriah died there. This debacle of David and Bathsheba was all of David's making. It was all of his making. But some of these tragedies, we have nothing to do with them. So David took eight steps. Can I share them with you real quickly? I'm just going to bump these. Number one, after this great tragedy, the first thing David did was David rose up. He had experienced seven days of unanswered prayer. And then the child died, and he said what we have already discussed, I will go to be with him, but he will not come back to me. Listen, things are not changing because they're not intended to change. And our understanding doesn't prevent that. Or our not understanding doesn't prevent that. The prodigal son, when he went into the foreign land and spent all of his money in riotous living and prostitutes, the Bible said when he came to himself, he rose up. That was the first thing David did. That is the first thing the prodigal did. 
Listen, you can't twist God's arm in prayer to show you something, reveal to you something that is not intended to be. Otherwise, you would need no faith in God whatsoever. There's a time when you just must rise up as David did. Stop praying, stop fasting, rise up and begin to move forward in faith. God will not answer all of your questions up front. My brother used to say all the time, when I understand the Holy Spirit, when I understand healing, when I understand miracles, when I under, then I'll serve God. And you know what I'd always tell him? You'll never serve God. And he never did. Until he was a frail man dying that was just a shell of a person. Reached his hand up to me on his deathbed. And I led him in the sinner's prayer. If you're holding out for answers, it could be a long wait. Because the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And David had already been out of fellowship with God over this debacle for 12 months. The second thing David did was he washed himself. How you look affects how you see yourself and how others see you. To turn your life around, you must first turn yourself around. Wash off the dirt of yesterday. Wash off the past. Wash off all the bad attitudes that you've acquired, all the bad feelings, all the bad habits that you've acquired. Wash them all off. Get it off of you. It's an outward act of an inward cleansing that God is doing on the inside of you. Thirdly, come on, don't ever clap puny. If you're going to clap, clap. Good Lord. Some of you wouldn't clap if Jesus was standing up here. And I will assure you he's not. <laughs> Number three, David anointed himself. This is not anointing oil, it's cologne. These are fragrant oils that men used after shaving. Remember John 11 and 12? When Mary came in and anointed the feet of Jesus with that precious perfume, that was cologne. And it was referred to as anointing. Bathing is what David thought of himself, but shaving and anointing with cologne was what he thought about everyone else. It was his word to them, I'm back. I'm no longer living in the land of the dead. I've arose up. I've bathed myself. I've shaved myself, washed myself. I'm ready now to return to the land of the living. Number four, David changed his clothes. David took off his grieving garments and his mourning garments. And he put on his living garments. He said, this represents a seasonal change in my life. I went through a season of mourning and a season of grieving, but now I'm entering into a season of life. And with the change of his attitude came a change of his garments. Remember Joseph when he was in prison, Genesis 41 and 14, when the Pharaoh sent for Joseph? The Bible said they took Joseph and brought him out of the prison, listen to what they did to him. Just like David, they shaved him, anointed him with cologne, and gave him a change of clothing. Don't be one of those people that tries to hang on to a season that's past. You'll become a defeated believer if you do. If you are victorious over the trials and the tragedies of life. You'll have to find resolution in Jesus and you'll have to move on. Number five, everybody still with me? How come you're not sweating like I am? <laughs> Number five, David went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. I love this so much. Most people run from the church when there's tragedy in their life. But David ran to the church. You see, Psalm 65, when David was at war, this was unusual for him. He was on the battlefield. One night he was laying there under the stars, and David looked up to God, 
And this is reflecting how he felt about the house of God. He said, my soul here in the middle of this battle, people are dying all around me, my soul longs and faints for the house of the Lord. David said, how lovely, God, are your tabernacles. We must worship God when we know what's going on. And we must worship God when we don't know what's going on. We must stop questioning the integrity of God and look at our own integrity. I love this one. I can't leave it out. One of the things David said, lay him there in battle under the stars. He said, Lord, even the sparrows have found a nest and a home in your house. The smallest of all the fowl of the air, the most insignificant person in their own eyes can find a place in your house. Number six, then David came to his own house. You see, family and friends are important. It's not just about us, but it's about the people who love us and the people around us, the people that God has put in our lives. And after this season, not a stop sign, but a yield sign, a detour, a time to slow down, a time to take account, a, a time to re-strategize, a time to get with God, to get in God's face. He returned to his family and his friends. In times of tragedy, what David was saying was surround yourself with your family and your friends and those who love you. David said, I choose to not remain with the dead. I've been there seven days crying out and believing, and now he's died, and now I've gotten up, and I've, I've bathed myself, I've, I've shaved, and I've put cologne on, I've put new clothes on. He said, I've risen up, and I've come to the house of the Lord, and I've worshiped, and now I've returned to my house with my family, my friends, and those who love me because I have a responsibility to them. Can I just say this? David's deceased child was now in God's hands. And God is a better parent than I am. God is a better friend than I am. God is a better buddy than I am. God is a better business partner than I am. Two weeks ago, I had a man look me in the face of one of my very close friends that died of COVID, and his partner looked at me and said, where will I ever find a partner like Bob? And I just said, you already have him. Number seven, David ate a meal. Do you ever wonder where that cultural thing came from? People bringing food to people when they've lost loved ones. It has a very important purpose. They didn't just decide to bring you food. There's something behind it biblically. David ate a meal. People who are grieving normally don't eat. But the meal that David ate represented finality. His servants said, how do you eat now? They didn't understand it. They said... You sat there and mourned and cried and wept and fasted for seven days, and now he's dead and you're eating. He said, I'm not celebrating the past, but I'm celebrating the future. David instinctively knew that there was no happiness for him while looking back, but only by looking forward to what God had for him. And by faith, he returned after tragedy and embraced not only his family, and his friends, but the future that God had for him. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but like Job, David was the only other man in the Bible that says he had twice as much in the end as he had in the beginning. God made twice of him after the tragedy as what he was before. Number eight, David had intimacy with Bathsheba, and she bore him a son named Solomon, and, and God said, and the Bible said, and God loved him. You see, I believe that David fell into 
Bathsheba's arms that night and said, Bathsheba, none of this debacle is your fault. You didn't instigate any of this. I did. It's all my fault. You're not to blame. No blame is on you. Everything that we're going through, I'm responsible for bringing it on us. Can I just say this? From the ashes of David's tragedy would emerge the wisest man to ever live on this earth outside of Jesus Christ. And that was David and Bathsheba's son, Solomon. This is a hard thing to say, and I don't say it flippantly. And I don't say it for the purposes of motivation. This has nothing to do with motivation. Do you have any vision of where you will go from your tragedy? The tragedy is over, but after the memorial service or after the loss of a companion or a wife or a job or a vocation, can you move into the future? Only one way, and that's by falling into the arms of God. And when you fall into the arms of God, God will move you ahead. And you'll once again have faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the house of God, faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to your friends, faithfulness to your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, and faithfulness to your God who will give you a future. And David had twice as much in the end as he had in the beginning. Here's the part I wanted to be tender about. Sometimes it's necessary to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that I just didn't have the faith to see you in all of this. And I saw things and thought things and did things that were not acceptable. So sometimes it's necessary to repent. And I love getting in the face of God. I remember when I could get in the face of my daddy. I love that. I miss it so much. He's such a wonderful, sweet, humble man. He loved me so much. And I loved him so much. But you have to repent and get in the face of God in order to receive the greater blessing that the future holds. So here's the point, respectfully, not motivationally. There is a Solomon about to be born into your life after your tragedy. You remember Open Range? I'm a cowboy. I love, love westerns. You know, it had uh, Robert Duvall, Kevin Costner, and Anita Benning. And Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall were about to go into this big battle. They can't, couldn't win. They were outnumbered like five to one. There's a big shootout. And she gave him a locket and said, this will keep you safe. And when the battle was over, no one was supposed to live. But he was wounded, but he lived. And he was in the saloon laying on the bar. And he ordered everyone out and sent for Anita Benning. And she came in and he reached out to give her that locket back and said, it worked. And she took his hand and folded it up on the locket and said three things to him that came right out of the Bible and right out of the story. I can prove it, but I don't have time to do that right now. The first one, she said, it's a gift. See, God never gives a gift that he's sorry for giving. Don't try to give it back. Don't try to give it away. He never gives a gift that he's sorry for giving. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 said, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He'll never repent for giving you a calling and giving you a gift. So she said, it is a gift. I gave it to you. See, God is the giver of all those spiritual gifts. And it's yours now. Question is, what are you going to do with it? You can't give it away. You can't return it. 
because all of God's gifts are given in perpetuity. What does that mean? They're endless. They can't be given back. They can't be given away. Isn't it funny that every time we try to give something away, the seed never leaves our hand. I mean, the seed leaves our hand, but it never leaves our life. It goes into the ground, produces a harvest, then it returns. And you keep trying to give it away, and it keeps coming back. And the more you minister, the more God gives to you to minister. The more faith you have, the more faith God gives you. The more you put out, the more God puts in. The more you give of every commodity of life, the more God gives to you. All of God's gifts are given in perpetuity. They're endless. They're timeless. You can't give them back. You can't give them away. They belong to you now. In spite of everything that has happened, what are you going to do with those gifts and those callings? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? If you're here today, you might say, Pastor, I don't know where I stand with God, but I've been through a lot of tragedy and a lot of disappointments and setback recently. Well, my wife's going to pray for those of you who have been through that in just a moment. But right now, I want to ask those of you who would say, Pastor, I don't want to leave this building without knowing that my life is in right standing with God. And I don't know that right now. I don't know if I were to die, if I'd go to heaven or hell, but I want to know before I leave this building. If that's you and you'd like to say, Pastor, pray for me, I want you to raise your hand all over this building. In every section, just raise your hand right up there. Hands going up all over in every section. There are hands up today. I want everyone in the building to repeat this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your goodness to me. Thank you that you died, Jesus, and shed your blood so that I could be saved. I repent of all of my sins, all of my faults and failures, and invite you to come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and be my soon-coming King. Thank you now for hearing my prayer and saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.